The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Primal Body, Primal Mind. Your host, Nora Gedgaudis, is here to take you on a fun-filled and informational journey through the mind and your body with a focus on neurofeedback and healthy nutrition and what it can do for you, your family, and friends. Now here's your host, Nora Gedgaudis. Hello again from beautiful Portland, Oregon in the incomparable Pacific Northwest. And welcome once again to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. Well, at the end of last week's show, I announced this week's show is going to be a, a discussion about uh, obesity and weight loss, and I want you to know that we will do this show in the near future, but the opportunity arose this week uh, to interview a very special guest. We will be talking today with journalist, science writer, and author Jim Robbins. Now, Jim is the author of A Symphony in the Brain, which was originally published over a decade ago, where he basically traces the story of the field of neurofeedback through through the stories and voices of its pioneers as as well as the you know the stories of those that have benefited from from the development of that field and uh you know in the years since he's since taken you know the field is really uh, well in the years since the book was first published that is you know the science of neurofeedback has really taken remarkable uh, leaps and bounds it's been kind of amazing and some of the original assumptions of how neurofeedback actually works have been really kind of rewritten here and there, and new voices and new technologies have uh, entered the field. So basically, A Symphony in the Brain has been re-released once again as a revised second edition, and it really looks at this new frontier from a very fresh perspective. Now, Jim also recently authored another book alongside the, one of the most respected pioneering minds in the field of neurofeedback and brain science, uh, Dr. Les Femi, and it's called The Open Focus Brain. Uh, Jim is also working on a follow-up book on that called Dissolving Pain, Simple Brain Training Exercises for Overcoming Chronic Pain That's that uh, he plans to release in 2010. Well, since 1978, Jim has been writing about science and environmental issues in the American West and across a whole lot of the globe. Uh, since 1980, he's been a regular contributor to the New York Times. He's also written for Audubon, Travel Holiday, Smithsonian, Vanity Fair, uh, Scientific American, I think, uh, the London Sunday Times, the Boston Globe, Conservation, Sierra High Country News, and has appeared on NPR, ABC's Nightline, the McNeil Lehrer Report, and the BBC. And I'm already out of breath just reading that. Uh, but Jim and I uh, go back a little more uh, than uh, 10 years together. Uh, we met at the uh, Once Upon a Time annual Winter Brain Conference in Palm Springs, which was this wonderful gathering of some of the most pioneering and innovative minds in neurofeedback and uh, in brain science. It was really uh, one of those out-of-the-box kinds of environments where 
people shared ideas about the field that often get left out of some of the perhaps stuffier, more academic conferences. Well, it was always my favorite conference, and, and Jim and I got to know each other there and, and shared some pretty exciting times and ideas, and a lot has really changed since then. Um, sadly, the Winter Brain Conference is no more, but uh, both Jim and I maintain our connections to the field, and we've done so in our own uh, different ways. So it's a joy and a pleasure for me to be connecting with Jim again here and sharing with you all really one of the most interesting thinkers and uh, contributors to the story of neurofeedback. So I'd like you all to welcome Jim Robbins to the show. Hi, Jim. Hi, Nora. Thanks hey. for that introduction. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. You know, um, I have to say one of the most memorable uh, dinners of my life actually involved you, me, uh, Les Femi, his wife Sandy Shore Femi, and another colleague of mine, Kathy Forty, at this Japanese restaurant off somewhere in the Palm Desert. I remember that uh, we pretty much closed that place down that night. <laughs> what an amazing dinner conference! Yeah, the winter the winter brain conference was an amazing conference, and it, it so was. I mean, I'm, I'm still mourning the fact that it doesn't that it's not happening anymore. But yeah. alas, and all that was so many years ago. So, uh, what have you been up to since then? Well, I, I uh, revised uh, Symphony in the Brain last year, uh, looked at the, kind of what's new in the field and what's going on. I've been surprised in a number of ways. I, um, uh, I, you know, I, I'm kind of an amateur anthropologist in some ways as a journalist. You get to kind of go and look at a field for a while and study it and take notes and write about it. And, and um, it, when I wandered into the into the uh, neurofeedback field, it was like, wow, this is really interesting. And, and I spent a long time trying to figure out, was well, this real? And this, if this is real, if we can train our brains to make these kind of changes in our our whole being, you know, emotional changes and uh, changes in anxiety and depression and so on, how come I hadn't heard about it? Right, right. And that kind that question kind of propelled me for the first part of my my uh, journey into neurofeedback, I uh, went down to Michael Hutchinson's house, and he, of course, wrote a book called Mega Brain. Right, right. Years ago, and got interested in in these brain technologies. And of all the the brain technologies that I saw there, though, the one that really stood out for me was was neurofeedback because it just seemed so powerful. And I got a big hit when I tried it. And so the question started out: um, How come I haven't heard of this? And it became Wow, this is real. So why is, doesn't anyone else know about it? And right. that was kind of uh, that kind of drove me to uh, to write the book that I wrote, to write a couple of articles in Psychology Today and the New York Times, and then to write write this book about neurofeedback, um, which then I've just kind of refreshed here a year ago. So the, the question then uh, is, how come we still haven't really heard too much about this? Right. Yeah. You know, a lot of people do ask. You know, why is this not more mainstream? If this is so great, how come I haven't heard, or how come my doctor doesn't know anything about it? Although that's really changing. But, but... it's changed a lot. There's a lot of athletes using it. Chris Kamen is kind of the most famous athlete from the Los Angeles Clippers. He's a center, and he said it, it cleared up this kind of brain fog that he'd had all of his life. Right. And, and baseball players, and, and on and on. I mean, how about the Italian soccer team that won the World Cup a couple years ago, too? Right. I mentioned I talk about them in my book. Um, you know, all of these these people have. There's people who've realized this, even if it doesn't have the the kind of studies that people say it it, it should have. The people realize what's going on here, and they found their way to it. What I'd like to see is a, is neurofeedback to become a, a studied field. I mean, it definitely 
works well. I mean, it's amazing what it can do in my own experience of becoming more clear and and uh, being able to sleep better and so on is what kind of propelled me to do the book. But imagine what we can do with research and when we know who, what works best for who and right. what kind of brains can do, the, what kind of training. I mean, there's a whole range of things out there that could, that could really be, uh, could make this intervention more powerful. And I, that's, that's kind of one of the reasons I wrote the book. The main reason is, all right, here it is. This, this is out there now. Let's see what we can do with this and make it even more powerful and more, um, more approachable for people who, who might think that it's not it's flaky or something like that, which of course it's not. Well, no, um, you know, and it, it's it's you know it's really changed. I mean, I think ten years ago there it was a slight it would have been a slight uh, exercise in masochism to hang out a shingle, and say you know, come to me, I do neurofeedback, and people scratch their heads and say, is that some kind of pill you take? Or um, you know, a lot of people really didn't know. What it was, and I'm, I'm guessing your book has something to do with the fact that more and more people do know. Um, and you know, today you have people like you know Dr. Phil talking about it, and um, and um, you know uh, Daniel Amen has you know has talked about it some, and it, it's it's moving into the mainstream. I think part of the problem too is that there's so many things out there sort of vying for our attention. Uh, you know, so many different new uh, promising approaches to uh, addressing various issues uh, are just, you know, we're being slammed all the time with new things. So I think sometimes maybe neurofeedback gets a little lost in that fray. Well, part, part of the problem is we have we're, we live in a society that's the, that is steeped in the, or marinated in the drug model. Yeah. You know, that's how we think. Take a pill, we can change the, the soup in our brain by taking these chemicals. But there's also the spark in the brain. You know, they call it, they differentiate between soup and the spark, the electrical part of the brain. Yes. Neuro- neurofeedback is behavioral and teaches us to change the electrical part of the brain, which in turn changes the soup. Right. But people just don't think that way. Behavioral uh, interventions were, you know, the biggest thing back in the 60s when neurofeedback came along, or mm-hmm. biofeedback then. And um, it, it was how people thought, and it made a lot of sense. But now you know, we've left that and gone to drugs, and uh, and it just is is takes it so just enough outside the box that people don't quite get it. And it has been dismissed by some scientists who haven't taken the time to to read the research that is there, or to take a look at at the patient reports, which are you know uh, numerous. Uh, yeah, we know. Definitely, this is not a placebo effect, but still, people insist that it is, and without without taking a hard look at it. So, there's a lot of closed minds, and in some ways, I can understand it because neurofeedback is ahead of the model. I mean, there it does things. It not only says we can control our our brain waves, which you know has a head scratcher for some people, but it yeah. <laughs> also says we can control it in a way which changes our brain in a positive way. Yep. That's a big leap for for some scientists, but uh, you know they better get used to it because it's real and it's here. I know that I, I've uh, participated in, in some of the training courses um, uh, back way back when, um, and I've I've seen MDs take the you know take the neurofeedback course, and you know it's interesting because when when I took it for me, I, I think partly because I wasn't beholding to any particular model, uh, it just absorbed right in. It just made perfect sense to me. Um, and it just felt like a natural, naturally logical thing. But you sit there and you look at the faces of, of some MDs taking these courses 
and you know they're they're kind of the eyes are kind of glazed over, and they're they're it's almost like they have to kind of unlearn a little bit a, a certain way of thinking about things in order to relearn uh, this this sort of new model of things. That's true. And um, um, but in, you know increasingly we're seeing more and more uh, MDs uh, enter the field and uh, people of all ilks. I know I used to have a uh, an accountant back in Minneapolis who had a son who was an airline pilot and. He had um, developed some neurological problems who uh, that that were getting in the way of his ability to fly, and, and he went to the Mayo Clinic down in, in uh, down in Jacksonville, uh, Florida, and, and got uh, uh, the whole big examination, MRIs, the whole nine yards. And at the end of the exam, uh, they basically uh, the attending neurologist at the Mayo Clinic sat him down and recommended he seek out neurofeedback to treat the problem, mm-hmm. which, you know, and I got a very excited call from my accountant saying, ah, who do you know down there? This is really cool. Um, but I've also run across other neurologists who, who, who called me because their patients were getting results with me that they hadn't been able to help, and they're like, well, what is this? You know, can you explain it to me? I want to understand it better. Right. Um, totally new to them, so... Right, and there are there could be more studies. I mean, it would be helpful, but you know, studies are also used as a barrier for things not sure. to, not to become part of the healthcare system. It's a political thing, and I I'm, there's just more than enough out there to say, yeah, this is real. But of course, there are some skeptics out there who hold out and won't accept anything but you know million dollar studies, which just isn't there yet. But the other thing it says is it says that back in the 1960s, when brainwave biofeedback was born, yeah. Wait. That, can you hold that thought? Because that would be, a, this is a perfect opportunity, I think, to go to a commercial break and when we come back, we'll, we'll start talking about, uh, you know, go back in time, I think, and, and explore the uh, early history of this field. That uh, perfect segue. So please, everybody, stay tuned. Uh, we'll be back in just a minute here. This is Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, and I'm Nora Gadgaudis here interviewing today Jim Robbins, author of A Symphony in the Brain. We'll be right back. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. 
Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. Are you looking for a new perspective in today's challenging economic and personal times? Join the journey to your personal best on the Sky's the Limit radio program featuring your hosts Karen Lovett, Jackie Lawney, and John McDermott. The engaging discussion will center on concrete ideas and actions to help improve your personal wealth, love, appreciation, power, choice, relationships, and more. Karen, Jackie, and John will guide you to your true power of choice on the Sky's the Limit, Wednesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific on 7th Wave Network. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Back to the show. And we're here today with author and science writer Jim Robbins, who has uh, written the book Symphony in the Brain. And uh, he, this book was published a little over a decade ago, but it's recently uh, been re-released in a in sort of an expanded and revised second edition that uh, is sort of caught up with everything that's sort of happened in the field of neurofeedback and, uh, since the book was published over a decade ago. And I, I'm, you know, I know from my perspective, it's the field has come leaps and bounds in that in that time. Well. Um, you know, Jim, maybe we can, uh, you know, when we were going to break before, you were talking about maybe some of the early uh, history of neurofeedback. I'm thinking maybe you can kind of share some of the highlights of the history of neurofeedback with our listeners. Well, the first person to understand that the brain could be operantly conditioned in a, in a laboratory setting was Joe Camilla. Mm-hmm. And he taught a young man to uh, recognize what frequency range he was in. It was called alpha at the time, which is 8 to 12 hertz. Mm-hmm. Low, restful, but awake kind of uh, relaxation. And this guy was able to know every time uh, Joe asked him if he was in it, he could answer yes. And then if he wasn't, he could answer no. He had this very uh, extraordinary control over a lot of sensitivity. A lot of sensitivity. And Joe said if he hadn't had someone so sensitive, he might have gone on to other things and not uh, not pursued it. But this guy guessed which state he was in 400 times in a row, which blew, blew Joe away. He started doing more research on this. But what, what really kind of captivated the attention of people was, was when he taught people to go into uh, alpha, uh, not just to understand when they were there, but actually to attain it when when they were asked to. And as people did this, they started to report all these these changes. Their muscles relaxed. They felt more alive, more awake, more refreshed. Uh, it, it, it's, it, it's something similar to meditation um, in which, you know, it, it affects the whole body, I mean, from head to toe. It's just a, a system-wide release of tension and stress in alpha. And uh, and people were walking out of the studies going, you know, they felt better than they had in years. And 
it was a, it was a big deal. It was seen as as a, as a world changer. You know, people would stop being uptight, as they said in the '60s, and tense, and, and start being more relaxed, and and so on. Uh, it was a natural kind of tranquilizer. And he published that in a, actually it wasn't published in a peer-reviewed journal. It was published in Psychology Today, but it it captivated people and it, it set off this whole field of of neurofeedback. Um, one of the people uh, who started in those early days was Les Femi, who I wrote a book, that book called Open Focus Brain, about attention in the brain, the role that attention plays in the brain. And also uh, Barry Sturman, right. who was at... Uh, Amos Katz. Yeah, and he did a lot of work with cats. And, and That's uh, actually a pretty fascinating story, I think, um, uh, you know, Barry's, Barry's cat story. Yeah, he accidentally discovered that cats, through neurofeedback, could be made resistant to seizures. He discovered that by using by training them uh, to attain um, what was called SMR, right. certain frequency. And, he, and when he used those same cats for a study of the uh, lethal dosage of rocket fuel, and it's a completely different study, those cats that had been trained to achieve SMR were resistant to seizures. And yep. he caught it, which was a great credit to him. And he started training monkeys and then humans to, to resist epileptic seizures, and he was able to teach a number of people to um, to stop having epileptic seizures through through this uh, this training process, this brain training process. Published uh, the papers in a number of good journals, and then lost funding, and, and that remains a mystery as to why he lost funding, but it yeah. stopped his research and he went on to other things. And then, of course, uh, Margaret Ayers picked it up, picked his approach up, um, and started treating people clinically. She'd worked in his in his uh, his shop, and then went on to open a clinic in Beverly Hills, and uh, she kind of kept it alive in some ways. There were other people doing it, Michael Tanzi and a couple of others, but I think Margaret kind of uh, took the lead on popularizing it. And then, yeah. of course, they taught uh, Sue and Siegfried Osmer at EEG Spectrum, then at EEG Spectrum. Now it's called uh, EEG Info, isn't it? Uh, yeah, well, the Sue and Sigrid have the EEG Institute, and that includes the you know, EEG Associates, EEG Info, EEG Expert, um, and uh, the EEG Directory, and, and all of that. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like I, you know, initially, you know, some of the people, uh, to my recollection of, of this story, that you know, we had who had benefited with respect to seizures. You know, they come in, you know, they came in, and they. With the study, and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm not having as many seizures anymore, but it's weird, you know. I used to be depressed, and I'm not anymore. I used to be anxious, and I'm not anymore, or I'm sleeping better. And yeah, they figured out that there was some sort of global impact that this uh, was having. That it wasn't specific to any one symptom, but that there was some uh, sort of um, optimization process happening with respect to brain function from all of this interesting brain training. I think, you know, there's obviously, uh, these things are complicated, but I think basically what happens is emotional stress in particular destabilizes the brain. Worse. And, and, and uh, neurofeedback restabilizes it. So a lot of these problems that, that are product of a destable brain or an unstable brain, um, 
clear up. And it seems to be a miracle. It's not, but it seems to be because you see three or four symptoms that respond uh, to one type of training. Yes. Um, and so, I mean, I, but I do think people need to understand that, you know, it's not a panacea. There are people who don't respond or don't respond as well or there are other problems and that you can't separate this from, you know, things like nutrition. I mean, you can't if you're, you know, uh, overweight and you're, you have poor habits, you know, you, you can't just go in and, and get get your brain fixed up. I mean, as you, you know, talk about in your book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, um, you have to have that firm uh, nutritional support to make sure your health is as good as it can be. Well, the brain has to have raw materials to work with. Right. <laughs> And if you're, you know, if we can do the perfect brain training protocol, but if you walk out of the office and you're on a diet of Twinkies and beer or something, you know, yeah, the results are going to be, shall we say, less than optimal. But it always amazes me as to what a frontier the the body and mind are. I mean, we we have spent, you know, I don't know, trillions of dollars, I'm sure, in research and and clinical approaches and all different kinds of areas of health and and both um, mental and physical, and yet. You know, here here's a field like neurofeedback coming out of you know the past and making all these amazing changes, and st- nobody understands it. Nobody understands much of how it works uh, truly compared to a lot of other things. And yet, here it is uh, doing things that just seem impossible, but but they're not. Right? Yeah. It people are are you know commonly amazed. They'll be sitting there in the chair, and they're just like, well, you know, how can sitting here watching spaceships fly possibly impact? You know, my, my, my mood states or the fact that I get headaches all the time or, or any of that. And, and, and then it, you know, it, it, people feel this incredible shift and they're looking at me like, how did that happen? What did I do? You know, they're sitting there looking at the screen and trying to figure out, uh, what's actually happening because they, they can't seem to bend it to their will. So they, they have a hard time understanding how anything is actually happening for them. And I think when you say spaceships, watching spaceships, you mean watching spaceships on a computer screen, screen yeah. playing a game with your brain. <laughs> no, not... not the other kind. That's a whole different show on a whole different network. <laughs> That's right. We go to coast to coast for that one. That's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, and we've only scratched the surface. Sue Sue Othmer said, you know, um, we've 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 got a grand piano and we've learned how to play a couple of keys with neurofeedback. There's yep. still a lot to learn. This is just the frontier, and um, and we've just kind of set, set foot in it, and uh, there's a lot to do. And that's really what I hope with my my first book is to say, hey, wave a flag and say, hey, folks, there's something real going on here. Let's look into it. And then uh, follow that up with a sec- second book about, about attention and neurofeedback, which is a, a different approach to this yet. And, of course, this these are two. Or, well, I talk about a bunch in a symphony, but this is just a handful of approaches compared to the number that are out there. There's dozens and dozens of approaches to neurofeedback, and they all seem to work. Yeah, that's true. They're, they're, you know, this field started out, and there were just a, you know, a few different ways of, of thinking about it, but we were all kind of looking at things along similar lines. Some people were maybe looking at it along slightly more spiritual or consciousness-related lines, and other people, um, you know, looking at trying to help remediate people's deficits with it. But, I mean, it's incredible how this field has just exploded out in all directions, and there are all of these new uh, minds and thinkers entering into the field and looking at the brain from different perspectives and, and uh, you know, training it with, uh, with very di- different philosophical, um, you know, approaches. And like you say, I mean, you know, when you, when you exercise the brain in, in, in almost any way, the brain is bound to benefit somehow. 
and uh, there are just all these different ways of doing it. Um, it's, you know, the, the field is just, I, I almost feel a little sorry for people entering into the field now because what they're walking into is this incredibly complex, uh, you know, field with all these different points of view. And um, I know, you know, people who started a lot earlier, like like myself and, and some other colleagues, you know, we were able to kind of see, kind of grow into all of this uh, complexity uh, and expand the tools in the toolbox. But um, it's it's cool stuff. I, I love what I do. It's you know, I know that more often than not, uh, by far, I'll be able to when I'm you know in the process of training a person's brain, really see measurable changes in the way that person feels and functions in a way that's just in, incredibly rewarding and pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah, it's a definitely a rewarding field. Michael Tanzi, who was with Margaret Ayer, is one of the very first people to do neurofeedback. He did one hertz, one sight all the time. Yeah. One one uh, sensor at the very top of the head, uh, CZ, and he did one hertz. He would discover which hertz would work the best. I forget the frequency. And it was train... 12 hertz at one point. Yeah, and he would train everybody to that. And uh he told me that, you know, he did a number of things as a clinician, but, but nothing seemed to, he said that the crutches never, were, were never thrown away or hung on the wall and people walked out of the office. He said with neurofeedback, he said people started throwing away their crutches and, uh, and that, and he meant that metaphorically that right, right. You know, people were getting these dramatic changes and, and that was, you know, 30 years ago now that was going on and that's clinically. Right. So there's a, there's a lot to it. Uh, there definitely is. Um, it's um it's i think like you say i think we've just barely begun to scratch the top of the uh iceberg you know in terms of what this field is capable of and where it is we it might uh take us uh i have some um uh some observations that i've made too over the last 10 years maybe i'll maybe i'll share that when we come back from break here but um, I've, I've observed some uh, rather startling trends in the way nervous systems present that walk into my office. It's uh, been quite a change over the last uh, dozen years or so. So when we come back, everybody, uh, we'll continue with Jim Robbins, uh, author of A Symphony in the Brain, and we'll continue talking about this fascinating history of this field we call neurofeedback. So please stay tuned. We'll be back in just a minute. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended, a jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, if you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. 
Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Want to learn more about neurofeedback? Want to find a trained clinician for yourself or for a loved one? Or maybe you are a professional looking to offer this powerful, non-invasive technique to improve results for your toughest clients. At EEG Info, we are the leading provider of neurofeedback resources, videos, and training for the next generation of neurofeedback professionals. If you want to improve symptoms of emotional and behavioral dysfunction, this non-invasive approach is the answer you've been looking for. Neurofeedback is successful in helping people of all ages achieve a feeling of greater health and well-being. Visit us at eeginfo.com today to learn more about neurofeedback or to find a local clinician who can help you or someone you love. Unlock the full potential of your brain today. Visit eeginfo.com. The Interstate Sportsman Talk Radio Show brings two well-known outdoorsmen to the Voice American Network with hunting and fishing info news. Talking about everything from new sporting gear, places to hunt and fish, and getting more from your recreation time. Join hosts Brock Ray and Don Kirk Friday mornings at 6 a.m. Pacific Time, 9 Eastern, for the Interstate Sportsman on the Voice America channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. And we're here today uh, talking with the author Jim Robbins. And we've been talking about his book, A Symphony in the Brain and the History of Neurofeedback. And, uh, and, uh, we just kind of started talking about, uh, some of the trends in the field. And, uh, I was mentioning one of the things that I, that I've noticed in the last, uh, you know, dozen years or so that I've been doing this has been a, a pretty profound shift in the state of nervous systems that come into my office. Um, a, you know, about a dozen years ago when I started doing this, it was kind of an even mix of people coming in who seemed under-aroused versus people who seemed over-aroused. And I, I realize these are technical terms for somebody who doesn't understand neurofeedback. But um, but under-arousal in those days involved things like certain types of ADD and certain types of depression perhaps, um, you know, brain fog, things like that. And and over-arousal spectrum uh, was were more anxiety spectrum kinds of, kinds of issues and autism and, and things like that. And uh, what I've noticed over time is this increased trend toward uh, toward nervous systems uh, requiring lower and lower frequency training. In other words, more and more people were coming in in that anxiety spectrum. And over time now, um, virtually 100% of everybody walking through the door seems to fit some aspect of that spectrum, or if there is an under-arousal uh, spectrum, which is maybe a debatable concept at this point, it is, in relative terms, these frequencies are being trained much, much, much lower uh, for a lot of us than they were 10 years ago. And I was left to wonder why this might be happening. Uh, and I think that there perhaps, 
you know, could be some different reasons for it. I, I don't want to pretend as though I've discovered the singular only um, explanation, but one of the things that certainly came to mind for me as a possible correlation for this has been the exponential increase in, uh, in cell phone towers and, and EMF pollution. I mean, 10 years ago, I knew people that didn't have cell phones. Today, I don't really know anybody that doesn't. And, and cell phone towers, and um, regardless of whether we even have cell phones, it's, it's sort of irrelevant because we're all sort of being inundated. And we know from brain studies that, um, that EMF uh, pollution, you know, electromagnetic frequency pollution, will either generate or exacerbate excitatory activity in the brain. And so um, I think this has become a, a rather pervasive problem. And it's not just cell phones. It's, it's Wi-Fi. It's, you know, it's Blackberries. It's, you know, laptop computers and all the 60-cycle stuff we have in our houses with electronic equipment and VCRs and big-screen TVs and things. But I think that there is an, an increasing case to be made for uh, neurofeedback being a tool for helping people to learn to cope with these environmental changes that we're sort of being exposed to. Well, it may be that. It may be also behavioral. And I think yeah. that, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of stress out there these days, and people pay attention very differently than they did 20 years ago. Um, people uh, play video games for, for hours and hours, and they, they are on the Internet. They're scanners. They're, people don't read deeply anymore. Or not. I shouldn't say they don't, but, but many people don't, especially young people don't yeah. take a book and read it. They, they scan the Internet, and they, they go to different websites. And we've become a nation of scanners in a lot of ways. That's true. It's changed, totally changed uh, uh, everything. I mean, it's changed newspapers. It's changed magazines and book, the book industry. It's it's It's... It's a pretty fundamental shift, and I haven't seen a good treatment of it yet, but maybe there's an article for me some, someday. <laughs> I see a future in that, too. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, you know, I think, or maybe something totally off the wall that we don't we don't know about yet, but, but there's definitely a change going on, and uh, there's definitely uh, um, a lot of shifts out there in how people think and, and respond to their environment. Right. Um, well, you I, wrote Symphony in the Brain like over over a decade ago now, so I'm curious as to what you know what struck you as being so new in the last ten years that prompted you to update and re-release this book. Well, the acceptance. I mean, as I mentioned, there's a Italian soccer team that uses it. Uh, there's um, uh, the uh, the center of the basketball player who uses it. A famous guy, Chris Kamen. There's uh, there's just a lot of people out there who accepted it. In some ways, I've also been surprised that it hasn't gone further in into the mainstream yet. Yeah. Uh, Siegfried uh, Othmer, you know, one of the pioneers in the field, has always predicted that that uh, this was just around the corner. It was just about ready to be. He, he would talk about how there was a few rocks rolling downhill right now, and but any time now there's going to be a landslide, and yeah. and the whole field of neurofeedback is going to slide into the mainstream, and it'll be yeah. accepted. And and I, I thought that a little too. like waiting for the big one out in California. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I thought that too. And I'm surprised in some ways that it hasn't happened in a bigger way. I mean, it's happened in in some ways. It's kind of there's still more rocks rolling down around downhill, but it. It hasn't gotten to the point, and I think it will, where people will have one of these in their home, and before they go to bed, they'll do a certain training to, to relax themselves. And when they get up, they'll do another one to kind of get ready for the ready for their day. So, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it all goes down to attention, I think. Uh, that's really where my interests lie more now is is how we pay attention and, and how powerful attention is. I mean, neurofeedback's always been about attention, 
And, um, well, and self-regulation. I mean, that's the, certainly the very thing that could have this monumental impact on the cost of health care now, especially right. with respect to mental health issues. But, but attention is how we self-regulate. I mean, yes. that's, that's what I learned in the second book that I did, The Open Focus Brain, yes. is that, is that uh, by understanding how we pay attention, we can change just about everything from muscle tension to, to ADD and anxiety and depression. It's all... A, a function of attention. I mean, my my feeling is that attention. One researcher back long before there was anything called neurofeedback said attention is the is the nerve of the whole psychological system, and uh, how we misuse attention is what causes our problems. Um, from anxiety to to depression and ADD is is that we um, we repress a lot of uh, high uh, energy feelings, a lot of emotional stress when we're we're little and too little to understand the world, and a lot of fearful things come up, and so we we stop from feeling uh, a lot of powerful feelings. But they don't go away; they they live on in our body and our mind. And so, it it what that does is it disrupts our our attention systems later in life. And so we have to kind of clean house and open our attention and let some of those fearful feelings that that we keep in our chest and our our stomach and so on. Uh, slowly bubble up and, and be dismissed from the body. And that helps then our attention and helps us go back down into a relaxed state where we can, uh, we can pay attention in a much more, um, in a much better way, uh, than, than if we're carrying a lot of these, these uncomfortable feelings that we don't even know we have with us. And this is the same model that, that, uh, different schools of meditation use. But what we did in this book is, is one is, is give people an understanding of the physiology yes. of meditation, which which it's not completely the same as meditation, but it's similar. And one is we give people the understanding of the physiology, and we give them some pretty simple exercises to do. Uh, it turns out that, uh, and this goes back to some of the things about over arousal and video games and the internet, is that it turns out that when we pay attention to things around us, when we pay attention to uh, uh, faces. We pay, facial recognition is, is a huge load on the brain in terms of understanding um, what people are saying and doing. And it, the brain moves at speeds between 100 and 200 miles an hour, processing in order to understand faces and, and object recognition as well. Yep. So when we're looking at things, we're watching TV, we're watching um, the internet, or we're we're out there stimulating ourselves. It, it, things are our brain's moving very fast. And it, it's very busy. And um, when we pay attention to space, which is at the heart of this book on open focus, the brain simply stops. It stops this processing, this, this frantic processing. And it essentially starts to slide into these lower states, these alpha states. Mm-hmm. And that's, these exercises at the core of them are, are becoming aware of space. I mean, if I were to ask you, there in the, in, in the studio where you are to look around and, and you tell me what you, you see, you'd say, well, I see equipment and people and so on. But you wouldn't tell me that you see space. And of course, more of the room is probably space than anything else. And as we become aware of space, our brain starts to slow down. Our whole nervous system slow, starts to slow down. And if you do that enough, you start to not only stop stress, but you start to reverse the stress that you carry with you, that you've carried since you were you know, little. And so that's at the core of the open focus approach. And I, I kind of fell in love with it because I think it's really, it's, it's, it's the awareness of a system of attention that we, we, we don't understand in the same way that we don't understand a lot of ecosystems right. around us. 
And yes, I think it's much better to rearrange the internal furniture to change your life than it is to rearrange the external furniture. I think it's much more powerful. And, and by that I mean, you know, you can change your job, buy a new car or what have you, but really what you want, to get what you want, you need to change what's going on inside. I think that's that's a more powerful approach. Yeah, after all, stress isn't what happens to you. It's how you respond to what happens to you. Exactly. Yeah. How reactive you are. Yeah. That's, you know... Beautifully, beautifully put, and uh, perfect timing, too, because we have one more commercial break to go here uh, before we get to the end of our show. So by all means, everybody stay tuned. We're talking with Jim Robbins here, author of A Symphony in the Brain and also The Open Focus Brain. And uh, we're going out to a commercial break, and we will be back in just a minute. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. NBC Science consultant Dr. Mark Steinberg says every so often you encounter a gem among the dross competing for your attention. Such is the case with Primal Body, Primal Mind, written by Nora Gedgaudis. Primal Body, Primal Mind is a non-fictional excursion into the realm of biology, politics, and self-care that you will never get from formal academic education. It's a nutritional treasure map leading to optimal wellness the way nature intended. A jewel. Tom Hartman, acclaimed author, scholar, and national radio host, says, If you want to really know how your body and brain work, read this book. Go beyond the low-carb and paleo diet to discover the ultimate key to health, a better brain, weight loss, better mood, and a longer life. Primal Body, Primal Mind will show you how you can save more money eating incredibly well than you ever believed possible. You can order the life-changing book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, today. And sign up for Nora Gedgaudis' weekly blog update at www.primalbody-primalmind.com. Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa provides homeowners and investors eager to invest well in real estate the knowledge, resources, and tools necessary to generate significant wealth. Our focus will be the paradigm. Live where you want. Invest where it makes the most sense. Listen live to the brightest minds in real estate investment every Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. That's Income Property Investment Talk with Peter Mosca and Dean Isa, where America learns to invest. Is there truly a lesson in every situation? Can you learn from another person's experiences or are lessons learned when they only happen to you? Dave Felzer, number one national and number one international best-selling author, challenges listeners to stand tall, to be accountable no matter what the setbacks, and to recommit to enhancing their lives as well as assisting others around them. Listen to The Dave Felzer Show every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Radio Network. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You're tuned in to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio with host Nora Gedgaudis. Got a question for Nora about today's show? The phone lines are open now at 1-866-472-5792. Toll free, 1-866-472-5792. Now back to our show. Here's Nora. Well, welcome back to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. I'm Nora Gadgaudis, and we've been here this hour talking with Jim Robbins, 
about uh, about the whole field of, of, of neurofeedback and the history of neurofeedback. And um, uh, you know, Jim, I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, uh, what's next for you? you? You've got a new book coming out this next year. Uh, sort of along these lines, a uh, little bit of an expansion on your book, The Open Focus Brain, isn't that right? That's right. It's the same kind of model. It's, it's about pain. It's called dissolving pain. And it's about how we pay attention to pain, essentially. And how we pay attention to pain governs how how painful something is. <clears throat> I've done a lot of research into the pain model in the last year or so. And um, what I found is that for a long time, back in the time of Descartes, I mean, there was something he 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 forwarded something called the specificity model. And that is, if you hit your your thumb with a hammer, um, it, it, how hard you hit it governs where where you hit it. Where you hit your thumb governs where you'll feel the pain, but how hard you hit it also feel governs uh, how much pain you feel. And that 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 ruled the world of of pain up until. 20, 20 or 30 years ago, and people started to say, well, there's more to it than that. How come some people don't feel it and some people do? And, and there's all these caveats out there about the specificity model, which is what it was called. And um, what they've come to realize in the last few years is that it's really much more about what's going on inside, how, how stable your nervous system is. And the big... Uh, uh, exception to the specificity model, of course, that led to this, one of the things is phantom limb pain. Mm-hmm. If you lose a leg uh, at the thigh, um, some people still have pain in their knee or pain in their ankle, even though their ankle and their knee is gone. So what's going on? Well, what's going on is that pain is being felt in the brain and uh, by the neurons that are still in there that represent the leg. So something uh, is going on in the brain. And, and what people are saying, researchers are saying, is it's a bigger part of the pain uh, model than we ever thought, much bigger than what happens to you. Yes, and that's really what the book is about. How do, how do you change the way you attend to pain? And high frequency, uh, uh, emotionally stressed kind of attention, or do you pay attention in a relaxed way? And then you can learn to dissolve a lot of these pain, which actually changes the brain and the nervous system. It actually brings blood to the site, and it changes um, changes parts of the brain and the nervous system, which, of course, runs throughout all of your body. And it's, it's powerful stuff. That's, yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly fascinating stuff. And I've, I've had the opportunity to work with, with, with some chronic pain. And, and it's incredible uh, to me the degree of emotional component associated with it, sometimes just simply calming the anxiety around pain, mm-hmm. um, seems to have a tremendous impact on the pain itself. Um, Sometimes people, you know, well, they, they, they're still kind of feeling pain, but it, it isn't bothering them as much. Uh, they're, or they're, they're just, they're not as focused on it as perhaps as they were before. And there's so much about pain that seems to be about perception. That's right. There's a guy in um, England who's studied perception for decades. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I think it's Richard Gregory. And he's written a couple books about perception. And um, he... He, this is, there's been a couple really good stories in the New Yorker about perception and pain. And what he said, what, what Gregory has said, is that um, the, the visual signal, for example, about, uh, it was an impoverished signal. When we look at something, if you were to be able to put it on a, on a, on a monitor, you wouldn't see very much. Very sketchy, a dog behind a fence, for example. You know, it, it wouldn't see very much at all on a monitor, just, just the signal part of it. 
the rest of the of what you're seeing is filled in by the by the nervous system based on memory and emotions. And so and he estimates that 90% of what we see is based on memory and emotion. Mm, right. And only 10% is based on the signal that's coming into the eye. And so that's tremendous. That's a that's really an important figure. I mean, so our experience of the world isn't based on what's happening to us. Right. And what we perceive is happening to us. It's really based on on our perception of what's happening. Our preconceived ideas about what's happening. That's right. And emotion is the biggest part of that. So if we can deal with emotion and calm it, it changes what we perceive going on in the world around us. And, uh, and it's, it's a huge change. And that's what I was getting at earlier. It's better to rearrange the internal furniture than the external furniture if you want to make changes in your life. And it's it's a powerful thing. And I've experienced it myself in my own life. And and it's been uh, it's, it's a it's a game changer. Yeah, we see everything through this, you know, through this lens of of our perception and our emotions about things. Um, you know, if we wake up uh, with um, maybe our brain a little dysregulated, <laughs> you know, we might feel kind of crummy. Right. And then we begin trying to, because it's human nature, to try to attach meaning to that crummy feeling and say, well, gosh, I, I must feel crummy because I have this crappy job to go to or because of this... Right. You know, awful person that I'm married to or because of this or because of that and uh, the state of the world or, or whatever else. And, and again, it's all a matter of what we choose to pay attention to and how we choose to pay attention to things. That's right. And we're all, we're, everyone looks out their own window. And if the window is cracked or dirty or, or not there, I mean, it can really change our perception of things. And I, I go back. I mean, I think a lot of this is all based on, on uh, infancy and childhood and fear, fearful circumstances that rise up and and disrupt our our lives. And, and we go on and, and think it's over, but it's really not. We, we record these things and keep them contained inside because they're too painful. I mean, that's at the core of every kind of therapy I can think of. And this is just this is just a continuation of that. But but it's a prism. We see. We see things through this fearful prism, and so how do we remove these these feelings and and that we can that we carry with us? And neurofeedback is a good way to do that. It's it's a great way to do that, and it's it's a very timely thing, I think, too, given what's happening with the healthcare system and uh, you know people losing um, health insurance, and you know we've learned to rely on on. Um, you know, on, on a system that isn't necessarily, doesn't necessarily have our own best interests at heart. And so this sort of model of self-regulation, this model of learning how to come to a place where you're able to manage your own states, basically, manage your own emotional states, uh, and to some degree through managing those, coming to some degree of self-management of physiological uh, states in general, um, can go a tremendously long way toward... Um, towards stating off a lot of the you know problems and issues that kind of drag people into that meat grinder called the healthcare industry, or perhaps better put, the disease management industry. Well, the plus the other thing is, is there's, uh, I mean, there are no other effective alternatives. I mean, you know, Ritalin or or uh, Silert or whatever people are using these days for ADD and anxiety and Depakote or for. See, I mean, why not try something for all these problems? that isn't going to harm you in other ways. And we know these things have side effects. Right, non-invasive. Well, Jim, it has been completely delightful and, and, and educational 
you know, treat having you here on, on the show today. Hopefully these listeners have arrived at a much richer appreciation about the field of neurofeedback and, and toward their own brains, too. So thank you so much for being here. Um, hopefully thank you won't be a stranger. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll all look forward to the release of your new book on chronic pain next year, and uh, I'd love to have you back for that. Uh, is there a website you want to give people? Uh, openfocus.com is probably the best place to, to go and, and, and get some understanding of, of what I'm talking about with neurofeedback and attention. Okay. And that also has a way to contact me there if people want to do that. That's wonderful. And uh, for the rest of you listening, stay tuned to Primal Body, Primal Mind next week when this show invites back author and nutritional pioneer Julia Ross, who will be talking about the use of amino acids for addressing things like chemical dependency and substance abuse. And in the second half hour next week, we'll also have a neurofeedback specialist, uh, Don Theodore of the Los Angeles Chemical Dependency Treatment Facility called Cry Help. Uh, the results he's seen with uh, using neurofeedback for these populations has been published in peer-reviewed studies and will absolutely blow your mind, so you're not going to want to miss it. Now, until then, remember, if it wouldn't look like food to somebody wandering around 40,000 years ago with a loincloth and a spear, it's not food for you now either. This is Nora Gadgaudis, and you've been listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks for listening. I would like to thank my sponsors, the EEG Institute, offering the most trusted and respected source of information and training for neurofeedback, truly world leaders in the field. You can reach the EEG Institute at www.eeginfo.com or at 818-456-5965. I would also like to thank the Nutritional Therapy Association, the NTA, for their generous sponsorship. The NTA is the best, most trustworthy and reliable source of foundational nutritional education and nutritional therapist training here in the U.S. and possibly the known universe. I just can't say enough good things about this organization. You can find the Nutritional Therapy Association at www.nutritionaltherapy.com or you can call 1-800-918-9798. That's 1-800-918-9798. Tell Marcy Nora sent you. Thanks, too, to Biotics Northwest, the source for exceptional healthcare practitioner quality supplements for every health professional. You can reach them at www.bioticsnorthwest.com or at 1-800-636-6913. Also, be sure to visit my website at www.primalbody-primalmind.com, where you can also get my book, Primal Body, Primal Mind, Empower Your Health, Your Total Health, The Way Evolution Intended and Didn't. Thanks again for listening to Primal Body, Primal Mind Radio, hosted by Nora Gedgaudis. Come back for another great program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. And have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. 
The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 